Summer okay, school. you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, once again, Mark McGrath, the singer of Sugar Ray, celebrating the release of a Greatest Hits album just in time for the holiday season. And the host of Mark McGrath's 120, heard weekends on the 90s on 9 here on Sirius XM. Hello, Mark. What is up, Tully? What is up, Tully Show listeners? And every time I'm on your show, I get so many nice social media compliments from uh, our discourse that we have here. So it's nice to know people are listening, and it's nice to know people are fans of music like you and I are. It's true. I agreed to all of the above. I was just at an Ellis Mania, and quite a number of people, people who talk to me about this show primarily... Uh, said that they like it when you're on. So thanks for coming. Well, on. I appreciate uh, you having me for sure, bro. And you know, I, I mm-hmm. stole something you do too in your in your intro because I think it's so funny. Because I I um, not to to show the wizard behind the curtain, but you know, sometimes I don't always always tape my Mark McGrath's 120 in a studio, and I've stolen the live to tape from my mm. ma- my closet in my uh, master bedroom. So shout out to Tully if you hear that on the 120, you know where it's coming from. You're smarter uh, yeah. than me. You're funnier than me. I, I, do. I don't think people really pay attention to what you say. <laughs> as, long as, you, as long as you get the... Just the inflections. <laughs> One of these the, days, I'll just swap it out with the ingredients of shampoo, and we'll see if anybody notices. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. <laughs> so uh, I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, anything new and notable going on with you? You do have a Greatest Hits album coming out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, we were on Atlantic Records forever in a day, and um, a publisher came and bought our catalog off off uh, Atlantic Records, meaning we had an outstanding debt. They paid it uh, to Atlantic Records and and uh, proceeded to own our catalog. Wait, Sugar Ray owed you guys owed money? Hey, can you believe that? You know, it's funny after you, know, you make the, the the label about probably we probably made them about eighty eighty five million dollars, uh-huh. and we ended up owing them a million something in change after. Because every time you Wait, make a record, you, you ne- owe them money again. You never recouped. No, we always we no, we more than recouped, and I mean, they no, made money. Of course, you oh, did. It's not the iron of it. Guns and Roses right now yeah. owns Geffen Records money because I promise you, Chinese Democracy did not recoup. Oh, so I see. So the fact that you made them like twenty billion dollars last time doesn't count. Because towards... they don't go great. So let's start the bank, and we'll just start from the profit we made, and we'll just we'll, no. You, oh, all of a sudden, fresh you, it's, a, it's a fresh loan again. Chinese Every Democracy record... would be a little bit of an exception. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ten years to make, and my God, how many players did they have, and made it around the world in so many studios? And I actually like that record. I don't know about you, but there's some good songs on there. I think we've discussed this. There's two or three good songs, and I think "Better" is better than anything on the Use Your Illusions that wasn't Absolutely. written for the Use Your Illusions. "Better" is really, really good. Um, don't really matter. I. Uh, Do you see the Guns N' Roses reunion tour at all? Um, no, no. I, I, I would go. I would go. We talked about not we having did. the full uh, a lineup, Izzy which and... meant a lot to me too. Which yeah. that would be the one that would get me over the edge to go see them as a fifty-year-old man, father or two, angry person who doesn't like to deal with humanity. Yeah, that's the thing that would get me out there going. If they were all five there, that's how much that band meant to me and that record in particular. I agree with that, and I also think that I understand more and more that it there is something. It's funny that it's taken me this time to realize as being someone who was in a band in my formative years mm-hmm. but there is something special about the band and it doesn't have to be like you can get a guy who can mimic Izzy down to the note and it won't be 
as good as if you just have the man because a there's a there's a chemistry that comes with people who and it's usually um, a happenstance kind of thing. Without a doubt. And that's, that's what brought you together in the first place. And right. Steven Adler, mm-hmm. he's a great drummer. He's not half the drummer that this guy is, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, who's currently playing with Guns N' Roses. Do you remember that? He's an awesome drummer. I think he played uh-huh. with McCartney as well. He's not half the drummer, but his swing is what made those Guns N' Records work, and uh, the, certainly Appetite work. And when I watch him playing his Adler's Appetite thing, you could just see the feel, the pocket he's in are with those songs. I don't want to say they're missing, but it's certainly what made them great on record. So yeah. there was something about chemistry. And I love my favorite band in the world all time is the cult. You know, and I remember when the drummer left. All time. Of all time, the cult. I mean, actually, Sex Pistols is the one that got me to go on stage because it let me know that anybody could do it. But I keep the- hearing that. You, you were the same age, just about. I'm 50. Yeah. No, we're not the same age. Yeah, no, we're not even close. What are you, 32? Because <laughs> people always say, come on, I'm 41 years old. baby face, God dude. damn it. Um, baby I'm a, face. I'm a, I'm a man, Mark McGrath. <laughs> I'm a man, Mark McGrath. <laughs> <laughs> feel like I'm in prison again. Um, the Sex Pistols, I think I understand more. Okay, because here, here's my quick thing on them. Guns N' Roses name dropped the Sex Pistols. Duff was always wearing a chain around his neck that he was just like, yeah, Sid Vicious did it. I ripped it off. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to love that. And Mm -hmm. I went and listened to it, and I was like, this is ancient. This is so slow. This doesn't rock at all. And I always try to keep that in mind when I go, oh, that band wasn't that long ago. Sex Pistols, never mind the bollocks, was only 10 years old. When Appetite, Appetite for Destruction came out. came out, and it sounded like it was dinosaur rock to me, a 12-year-old boy. But as time goes on, I get it. I can definitely see how they would have been such a shock to the system. And uh, I even got Johnny Rotten to admit they were just like a good rock and roll band. He's what? like, he's like, I would have gotten angry at you for saying that in 77, but now enough time's gone past. They're just good rock and roll songs. I, I, I'm glad to hear and admit that because they were more like the Faces or yeah. or um, you know the Stones even, or the Who, yeah. than they were Black Flag or Circle Jerks. And exactly. mind you, they were Lewis and Clarking punk rock back mm-hmm. then. There was just, you know, there was the New York Dolls, the Ramones had hit, but like there wasn't this punk rock has to be fast sort of attitude. So they wrote a great rock and roll record that to yeah. me has withstood the test of time. But what they did, the, that the, which is most important is they gave everybody an inclination or a will to get on stage so now for better or worse that happened and that's the reason why i'm talking to you for better and worse well that's what i'm saying that's the reason i'm talking to you the reason why i got on stage is because you know johnny rotten i named my son Lydon after the man for, for the love of god um got me to, to, to think if you just had the balls and the will to get on stage you could do it and i did and look i've, I've said this a million times no one's ever going to confuse my voice with Pavarotti. i've got a tone i don't have a range at all but i've got a tone that i figured out because i wanted to be on stage and i think that's what the sex pistols brought to me i also think they made a hell of a record i don't think there's a better debut record, possibly Guns N' Roses, uh, uh, and, and and it still stands the test of time because I was there. I'm old enough to remember when it came out, totally. So it it didn't have. I didn't have any uh, preconceptions of what it should be. It was just this wow, and there was cussing in it. Right. There had been no cussing in records. It was yeah. F this and F that, F it all, F and I'm like, oh my God, the world's going to end. Kind of like when I heard NWA say F the police. I go, we're all going to die. It had, <laughs> it sort of, no, you know what I mean? It had that sort of uh, impression on me. Oh my, I'm, this is, the world's going to end with this music. And that's yeah. why the pistols really delivered to me. Well, you can't put yourself in the shoes of, by the time I heard the Sex Pistols, I had already ha- heard pale imitations of the Sex Pistols. Absolutely. And you can never go home again. But that wasn't, what I was going to say is, I, I think now I understand the Sex Pistols and what it 
meant and what it might have sound like, sounded like the day it came out a little bit it better. Was dangerous. Than it, did when I was a kid. it was dangerous. It took on the yeah. government. People were going to jail. I mean, it was like you didn't know where the parameters were. It was, you know, you didn't know, is this going to end music? Uh, is Johnny Rod, are they going to be lynched? Johnny Rod was physically beaten up. If you're a punk rocker back in the day, you got threatened. I know it's impossible to believe right now when you go to Hot Topic and you see, you know, the guy, the cashier with a, you know, F you for a uh, tattooed on his forehead, but having blue hair in that day was dangerous. It was scary. I mean, it was the last time with the exception of uh, NWA when they came out, when music was dangerous, it was scary. So, um, I kind of respect that whole element that they had in retrospect, looking back at it, you know, it, it that danger is kind of is removed because what punk rock became, but at the time it was something, it, it, it it was like Johnny Ronson, angers and energy. It was different, man. It was it was scary. So two things. I get the Sex Pistols thing, I think, better than I did. The Ramones thing is still hard for me to wrap my head around because the wide variety of people you too had a song on that album that everyone got mad that was on their phone for free right, about yeah. how nothing would have would would have happened. I heard Joey Ramone sing and 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 I'm like, I just cannot draw a line from what the Ramones were doing in 77 and what U2 was doing by 81 or 82. I mean, Frank Black has this from the Pixies has a song. I heard Ramona sing and it's very transparently about, I heard the Ramones and was like, I could do that. And I can't draw a line from, Hey ho, let's go to, which to me is like inspired, tightly performed children's music. <laughs> I can't argue with that at all. I'm not saying Sorry, I, I'm, laughing, I'm not saying like, I hate the Ramones. I've just never been able to understand what a profound and wide impact they had other than hey man, they just showed me anybody could do it. And maybe that's all it was. Well, I can tell you why I did for a lot of these bands. What was the first record you ever learned to play? Um oh me and Dr. Feelgood. Well then, I mean, well, you're so Indian, cool. Uh, yeah, hey, Doctor Feelgood sold I, I, like 15 million. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, but that was more technically proficient than a romance, a Ramones record. If you bought a guitar at Guitar Center or yeah. wherever you bought your electric guitar, you got one for Christmas, you couldn't play. If you could get your two fingers to play those two strings, you could play the first Ramones record. And I think yeah. that's what brought us all to the Ramones. And you know, it's catchy, it's good stuff, and it also harkens back to 50s sort of rock and roll. There's a oh, real for sure. There's they the, love the, Buddy Holly. They loved all those, you know, the, the girl groups. The bird, you no, know, the is a bird. No, it was one hit wonder, trashy, uh, trash things you hear in Little Stevens Underground. I mean, the Rones were really were inspired by a lot of that. So I see a lot of that. I think Bono writing a song about that at his age is more him trying to be cool and a little bit of revisionist history on his end. Yeah. You know, to sort of add to his sort of like, you know, his influences and his wealth of just cool at that point. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you, let's, let's be honest. You two is mind every influence. They're done. I mean, what, what can they write about anymore? They've done everything. So at those, that point, he's like, well, you know, Ramones meant to me more than yeah. I think they do. Let me write a record about I it. I did but- like that one U2 song where he was talking about, like, uh, searching for something on a deeper level. Oh, yeah. In a material <laughs> you, world. You mean everyone? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the- I the, enjoyed that one. The question, is God real? You know, <laughs> that one? You know, re- 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 I think that was a single. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the coolest thing I ever saw, though, was, uh, did you see the Eagles of Death Metal uh, documentary? No, I did not. Dude, I, I recommend it. I mean, they did a very cool thing when obviously the uh, Bataclan, the Bataclan yeah. fiasco happened, and uh, YouTube brought Eagles Death Metal back to sing 
Patty Smith's uh, people have people have the power at the arena there uh, in Paris. It was a really really cool powerful moment. Uh, hopefully people know what I'm talking about. If you don't rent that Eagles a documentary, it, it was made by um, Tom Hanks son Colin Hanks uh-huh. and who did all things must pass the uh, the Tower yeah. Records story. Oh, okay, and so it's really well made, incredible footage. I mean the thing about documentaries that make them great to me is when there's a wealth of footage that you can see and just choose from, and and when it's uh, made with the great through line, and it was made in real time too, so. Good stuff. So I digress, but that's what we do here. I I, um, I make fun of you too, but I, I like you too, and I respect them a lot. Whenever you go as big as they have gone, you, there's no way to do that without you become a broad character and a bit of a cartoon. Oh, you and have there's, to, and, and you leave yourself open to jokes. And and I mean, show me the perennial stadium act that you can't. You know, Bruce Springsteen is a bit. And you're of a, doing it wrong if you if you're not there. You yeah, know what I'm exactly. And I always. Doug, uh, they did something that they said about, I believe it was specifically about Radiohead, that uh, it was Radiohead and Pearl Jam, where they were like, it's just a, a sign of the times when we were, when we realized that we were in the ballpark, that we could go for it and we could be maybe the biggest band in the world. That really motivated us and we decided to take it to the next level and it probably made us better, that opportunity to grow into that, you know, size and shape. And when, by the time Radiohead and Pearl Jam got in that same position, they looked at what that might be and were we're like we are going to make difficult records and alienate everybody but our core fans um which has obviously been a successful strategy for each of them in in their own right but it i has it been though i mean it's okay. a it's a personality thing so uh, to me that's being a self-saboteur okay like you're getting there you're yeah. almost there you're at the brass ring now you're going into Beatles stones territory right and now you're thinking i don't belong here and i think tom york spends a lot of time going i don't belong here now i don't want to get in his head but i just did you know what i'm saying so i think he did write that one song he wrote a couple of... You know, they, I they, don't they, belong yeah. here. I mean, no, it's no, but, literally but, there. Well, you know, his whole thing is about me and Grape and the whole thing, and oh, yeah, I enjoy yeah, yeah. And uh, amazing songwriter. But I think, you know, if the brass ring is right there, mm-hmm. are you going to grab it? Now, I know it sounds stupid, but a lot of us, and me included, are self-saboteurs. We get there, and it's easier to say why we didn't do it. And, you know, we kind of railroaded ourselves, as opposed to we went for it. Now, Sugar Ray, this is going to sound ridiculous to everybody listening, we tried to go for it. I always say there's bands like Smash Mouth and Everclear and Third Eye Blind who got up to the plate. The bases were loaded and we, we had some hits. We were two for three that game. We're about now we're about to get up in the big leagues. If we hit one more like platinum or a double, you know, we might become train. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like there's there's levels to this stuff of 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 uh, of being a, a a band, you Hell know, yeah. of being successful. So we took our shots. We struck out radically at the plate, but we were two for three that day. We had a couple platinum records, and you know, we played in some uh, veterans uh, charity games now and then. That's how I kind of look at our career. Where some of these bands are 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 still playing ball at a high level. You know, like Michael Jordan isn't playing basketball right now because he can't. Not because he doesn't want to. He cannot play at that level. Yeah. U2 and Stones and stuff are still playing at that level because they can. Right. And so that's what's interesting about music. You know, like, I, we swang for the fences. We tried to become one of those legacy bands. It just didn't work. Now, Radiohead and Pearl Jam were... Ra- I mean, I guess... Pearl Jam, I do look at as a legacy band more than I look at uh, Radiohead. Though Pearl Jam did derail their career, I think they did it altruistically with like, we're going to take on Ticketmaster and we're going to do all this stuff. I know Eddie Vedder went through his like staring his hands and like, you know, putting it through his hair and like shaking a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, grabbing his wine bottle. I don't care. I get it. We all, we've all been through that. Yeah. Uh, But they came out. We all pretended to be a hobo in front of (laughs) 25,000 paying customers. If we were all so lucky, but I did in front of 500, but you know, he did in front of 25,000. Um, 
But I think now yeah. they've sort of become the Grateful Dead. I think they're very comfortable in the success they have. Yeah. They go around, they play baseball stadiums, they've got children, they love it. I think Eddie Vedder is probably the happiest guy I know right now. Well, that's why I say that they are successful in in in, in on their own terms because it's not as if they shied away from the big stage. And then but Radiohead they, did, though. Radiohead did. But let me finish. It's not as if they were, shied away from that and then it became a where are they now. No. They, beca- they both became enormously successful doing it in a non-mainstream, non-radio, non-single, non-mainstream media kind of way. Without a doubt. So but, they've navigated a, a But wasn't another... that already in place when they decided to, let's say, I'm 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 calling it like self-saboteur themselves? Like, you know, like, you know, when Radiohead started giving away free records, oh, thanks a lot, Radiohead. You just ruined it for everybody because you're going to play the Enormal Dome next week no matter what. That wasn't just some sort of, you know, well, we're just going to organically give our records. We think the fans deserve it. No, we're going to do it because we're still going to make hundreds of million dollars off playing live. And that just that bumped that really the little guy who was out there trying to sell the record for 10 bucks or whatever to make it to the next town really got kind of screwed on that by like, why are you selling records? Radiohead's given away from free. So there was sort of a little bit of a, a, a to me, a bad backlash on that particular uh, uh, implementation of uh, how they're going to release records, I think. Yeah, interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that, but I see your I see your point. Uh, there's always, there's often more to the story. The, You're right. the, the Kid Rock tour that he did tickets for like twenty five, bucks. five bucks and was selling his own beer for like 50 cents and stuff right. like that was, I'm sure there was a big part of him that thought it was cool to be able to do that. It was also the most lucrative tour he ever did. Right, exactly. And also made the most sense because the numbers were done. They probably went, look, people are going to go to Kid Rock Show for 20 bucks. They're not going to go for 35 Yes. And so he kind of framed it in different He's a very smart guy. Yeah. And said, look, here we go. And plus, you're getting ZZ Top with me and stuff. You know what I mean? He did. You're getting three yeah. great bands and 20 bucks. And well, I think the way that they did it is they um, he waived a lot of guarantees on it. Right. So he stood to make money if he, if he drew, if people came. which is one of the reasons why that was such a, a well-promoted exactly. tour. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So this is great. We're talking about a lot of um, classic music and classic rock, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. In well, the can, time. I, can I tag something out? Uh, I wasn't done I wanted to ask you. Yes. You, you think you too looks at Radiohead and goes, you're as big as us? No. I don't know. Good, good. I was, I was hoping you felt the same way. No. Because I think you two still delivered on the radio side, on the single side. Yeah. On the, they, you know, look at, I mean, one of you two's biggest records was in 2001, 2002. I mean, 15 years after the first release. That's an incredible stat right, just said right there. A relevant, gigantic record. And they're still making records that are, you know, I mean, what's relevant anymore? But still making records that chart, at least, you know? Yeah, I think they just wanted different things. I think that radio had many people consider, like, nobody's really going to crack the pantheon anymore. Of Nobody's ever going to say with a straight face, so-and-so is better than the Beatles. No. When, I mean, they're not gods. It's sort of like the attitude we have towards the, the founding fathers. Like, they were just dudes, men, Yeah, you know, smart, inspired, yada, 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 but... Um, they were infallible. You I think. Know? I think Radiohead enjoys as high uh, a credibility among people with a credible opinion in rock music as is possible. I completely and, concur and, with and that. And you too can't. I mean, do they not know. because of the success of their single? You know what where, I mean? Where, 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 does, I mean, where do we put the Joshua Tree when we're talking? If you're trying to, you know, you're going from uh, the Beatles and Kid A. 
What do you do with the Joshua tree? I don't know. Well, I mean, do you piss on it or do you celebrate? No, it's what amazing. A great it's, it's amazing. amazing. I, I can name 50 U2 songs I like. Yeah. 50! Right. And I don't consider myself a giant U2 fan. Yeah. Think what I just said right there. I mean, I, there's not even 50 recorded Sex Pistols songs, and I'm a huge Sex Pistols fan. So there's 50 U2 songs I like. So I think, like, think about that. Yeah. I also just know that the, the smell test I listen to an 80s countdown every single weekend just about and it is amazing when Stacy Q right. ends up at number 18 right two of hearts then, comes on and, and, and then with and or without then, you and then number 17 you hear the jangle of the where the streets have no name <laughs> right. and you're like wow like, wow oh my god you guys were better than everybody else by a lot Wabani sugar free comes on and then yeah. you know, where the streets have no names next you're like how yeah. do these two exist in the same world at once yeah know? and I and I say that as someone who has Stacy Q on my iPod and, and does not have you too but I, I mean <laughs> You know, let's be real. I have Wawani and White Lion, so what are you going to do? Okay. On June 28th, Mark McGrath, 1997, mm-hmm. the following words uh, were printed in the Los Angeles Times. It's got to be something about Sugar Ray. This metal pop hip hop outfit had nowhere to go but up. <laughs> Told you it's about Sugar Ray. After its imbecilic debut album. <laughs> did Robert Hilbert write that? Robert? Uh, I didn't. I, you know what? I wrote down a lot of the critics. Sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. I don't sorry. have the name uh, of the critic on this particular time, uh, on this particular album. With this album, the band graduates from idiocy to banality. <laughs> this is a derivative this... Zoom Vroom band that isn't exactly brimming with inspiration, but the single Fly is a perfect summer confection that is as irresistible as it is lightweight. That's why I hate critics. Do you hear what they just said? What an incredible piece of work this is, but from mm-hmm. a band that is so not incredible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, the only reason why I am reading that to you is because I wanted to talk about a bunch of albums that have gotten bad reviews yeah. over the years mm-hmm. that uh, still managed to be successful, successful, despite the fact that some critic or another pissed on it upon its release. Uh, my personal favorite bad review ever, I believe I've mentioned it to you before, was uh, Jet's second album, Pitchfork, just oh, yeah. a well, video well, loop of a, a gorilla pissing in its own mouth. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not even a review. I just, how do you how do you bounce back from that as a band? Well, like, here's the problem about crit- yeah. critics, and God bless your opinion, because I have one too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when your opinion is a reflection of you and not an objective thing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to make a gorilla pissing in his mouth because I'm so funny. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious to know why you don't like the record. You know, and, and give me a nice breakdown of, of like, like an educated reason why you don't like this. And like, you know, I can, my, 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 my six-year-old, you know, nephew can put a gorilla pissing in his mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so I, 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 critics, and look, and Sugar Ray's never been a critical darlings, mm-hmm. newsflash. Um, but, uh, I just I wish there was more of an objective an objective way to to criticize something, but I think I'm 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 that's an oxymoron in a statement itself, and that you're having a one person's opinion. So I think I, you just need to own that it's that that maybe people just need to understand going into particularly music criticism that it is one person's opinion. I was thinking about this morning in the shower because I knew that we were going to be talking about this. I have a friend who's a chef; he's a you know amazing cook, and if he tells me you got to go to blah 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 restaurant, it's amazing. There's a very good chance I'm going to love it, and there is zero chance I'm going to hate it. Really? Yeah. I think quality is just sort of an objective thing when it comes to 
food. The closest thing to it that we all have our different sensibilities and different tastes and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure if if my friend says, uh, I really, really like this movie, you would like it, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to, less so than the food thing, but pretty good right. chance I'm going to like it. Music is an absolute crapshoot. Absolutely. You can love something and I can hate it and I can just sit there and poke holes in it all day long and you can be completely uh, uh, oblivious to those holes or completely deny them. So music criticism is just inherently... It's just it's, it's it's it almost is like music just speaks to your subconscious. You're and, right, and everybody's subconscious is coming from a really really different place. And I think you just said something so important. You can't have an objectivity on music. No, like you know, Stacey Q hits you how it hits you, man. It doesn't right. matter where it hits you. Like you know, uh, you know, Gangnam Style, Gangnam Style, whatever size song. I mean, that's one of the first songs my kids ever reacted to. So that will always have a place in my heart. So how is that any less relevant to me than Hey Jude is? You know I what I mean? Mine's Baby by Justin Bieber. Well, for then, the same did, reason. Then, then you go. It's a and little. It, it's, it's, it's a really clever pop song. Like, yeah. I wrote that. I ended up writing a gang of the hits, too. But my point also is this. Critics are also concerned, especially music critics, what other people think. Why is, we spoke about them earlier, why is every Radiohead record a five-star, oh my God, review? Why? They're not all that great. Why is everything Bob Dylan puts out amazing? We don't have to listen. We don't have to listen to it. I think critics, don't, they put their review out because they're all about wordsmiths and, and putting these very clever sort of anecdotal things together and, and don't even listen to the record. Yep. And oh, Bob Dylan's just amazing. I don't, it's five stars. Ready, new Radiohead's out, it's five stars. And I disagree. I don't think Radiohead's put out five star records uh, uh, their entire career. I don't. Well, see, I think you'll notice a lot of these albums, I'm going to uh, read you some reviews of our debut albums. And let's face it, sometimes a reviewer just covers their ass. Oh, yeah. If, if Beyonce puts out a new album, you better be pretty sure it sucks dick before you write a review that Without says it, it sucks a doubt. The safe bet is just to talk about how she's just elaborating on all the great stuff she always does with, mm-hmm. some, new, with some new wrinkles. The debut, with the debut album, you don't always have the luxury of knowing what everybody already thinks because you're probably good listening point. to this before it's been released. Really good point. And okay. I will say with this Floored review, yeah. totally fair review. You know, Fly, Fly was the anomaly on Floored. Right. It was something different. We were, we were getting better songwriters. You know, what I got, Sublime had just hit. So, you know, they, they had a framework. They, they can't, you know, when a, uh, a comedian uh, cracks a code on an impression, yeah. all of a sudden everybody can do Christopher Walken. Hey, it's not good. It's great. It's good. You know, so like yeah. Sublime cracked the code in that whole metal, punk, hip hop, reggae. How do we do it? They cracked the code. And David Kahn, the producer, had a lot to do with that, who ended up producing Fly on Florida. So we were learning as we went. But yeah, it was the anomaly on that record. So any review of, of Florida, I, I tend to uh, agree with. But 1459, I'll, I'll fight you if you don't sort of like it. I think I, I agree with you on that and I think that I, I, I found that review uh, in Rolling their Rolling uh, well, the Rolling Stone review of 1459 and I think they were pretty kind to it actually. No they were. Rolling yeah. Stone's actually been very kind to us. Okay so these reviews are condensed and in some cases I've removed identifying characteristics but otherwise these are all direct quotes. Am I guessing? You see just there's no way you'd be able to, you should be able to guess these but uh, either you dig it or you don't. Personally, I don't, for several reasons. Despite his musical brilliance and the group's total precision, the poor quality of the songs and the inanity of the lyrics too often get get in the way. Dig it if you can. But as for me, I'd rather hear him play the blues. That is a review from the first issue of Rolling Stone in 1967. Is that going to be Hendrix? Yeah, that sounds terrible. Either you dig it or you don't. Do you know what I've, I noticed, though, with a lot of these is I've never been a classic rock guy. You haven't, I'm not, dude. I'm not just trying to be a hater. I, I'm not going to say I agree with a lot of these reviews, but I definitely see where they're coming from. 
where his lyrics are supposed to be super deep, and he's just like a stone guy with crazy games. I, I agree game. with that, but the playing is so the, the solos and like. Poor quality of the songs is a tough accusation, too. I definitely would not rather hear him play the blues. I... Oh, no. without it. By, by the way, I've never been a huge blues fan. No. By the way, also, the, the musicianship backing Jimmy up on that particular record was, was you know, a, a parallel to none, you know? Uh, interesting, though. Here's a guy, like, on the fence. I don't know if I like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Turned out to be arguably the best guitar player of all time. It, yeah. Yeah, well, that's just going to be the case over and over I again. I love this. You're so good at picking these topics, man. Thank you. The great thing, or the depressing thing, depending on how you want to look at it, <laughs> is that you kind of can't think of uh, an angle like this that there aren't already 300 lists of on the internet. So there are really are no original ideas. So I, I can't take credit for... Um, Rolling Stone, actually, was humble or realistic enough to compile a list of their own Horrible reviews of classic albums. So a lot of these are going to be coming Cheers from, to them. from Rolling Stone. Okay, uh, how about this one? Um, Blank, around whom the band revolves, is admittedly an extraordinarily proficient blues guitarist and explorer of his instrument's electronic capabilities. Unfortunately, he's also a very limited producer and a writer of weak, unimaginative songs. And the album suffers from his having both produced it and written most of it. What year was that? That is also from Rolling Stone, and that is from the year 1969. Ooh, and he produced it all. I, you know, I, that's not going to be Zeppelin because because Jimmy Page didn't produce the records. Well, Rolling Stone seemed to think he did. That so is, that is Zeppelin. A review of Zeppelin. Yeah, I thought it was. John, I thought John Paul Jones produced a lot of the records. So this is a, a sample of the uninspired songwriting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shitty production. Boy, they were tough back then, critics, yeah, man, weren't they? Hendrix and Zepp both got this. Imagine the revisionist uh, criticism today if someone wrote uh, on this, what we know now about these bands. Oh, Rolling Stone did. They went back on oh, a they lot of re- these. Oh, they redid it. And, and they would say, 20 years later, here's the review that we did where they have no choice but to just let me figure out new and innovative ways to fillet this band. If you want to get in the Rock and Roll of Fame, this is a debut record you start with, right? That's yeah. almost like the thing. So so also, but interesting, remember we did the thing uh, borrowing from others? Remember yeah, the sure. play, yeah, yeah. Uh, plagiarism theme we had? Yeah. So... This wasn't really uh, illuminated then in the Led Zeppelin uh, uh, scope then. It wasn't really known that they borrowed radically from a lot of songs that yes. we... So it's interesting that they were even not rewarded for borrowing the songs that they borrowed. They were already classics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you can't say it was shitty songwriting when it was stolen from a song that was yeah, already good. Right. <laughs> right. When like Jelly Roll Morton already made it a hit like in 51. <laughs> yeah, and they also shit on Robert Plant in that review. What, uh, what did they say about him? Uh, something to the effect of he's as foppish as Rod Stewart, but not as good. See, that's that's just that's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Foppish is what you call Hugh Grant. He's English. He's his pretty, hair foppish. He's, he's foppish. Pretty, he's pretty foppish. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not a object. Again, we're it's not about a great me. thing, Mark. I'm not going to use the word objective again in music because yeah. music is so subjective. Forget mm-hmm. it. You know. Remember when you were young, you used to like music according to how it made you look. 
Meaning like, you know, I always love the Damn, the Sex Pistols, Sham 69. And I do love those bands, but I wouldn't go outside that scope. Then I fell in love and my heart was broken uh-huh. and Air Supply songs started making perfect sense. Oh, and Sinatra yeah. spoke to me from all corners of the world. You I, know? Went, I went Ray Orbison. You went Orbison? Well, my first big heartbreak. One of most beautiful voices of all time. It's my, over. We'll my really, point is you got to we'll really li- dig that one in. It's over. It's over. Yeah. It's over. And how about crying? Crying? Oh I my know. God, one of the greatest songs written Doing those. Katie Lang's version? Fantastic of that. But I think the point is, you can't enjoy music until you've lived a little life. Yeah. You know, that's why all these, like, you know, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, all this mumble stuff. I mean, it appeals to the young folk because that's what they just know party, this, that, and the other. Wait till you get their hearts broken. Then you're going to take out, uh, you know, Kanye's 808 heartbeats and heartbreaks and whatever the hell that's called. That's when I got into R&B. Kanye? R&B. Yeah. When, when you got your heart broken? Uh, no, just when I became an adult. I, I, I've said this a million times, but it's true. Like pop music and rock music are about young love. R and B is about like real love, sex among people with stretch marks. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I can relate to that. Bullet holes and stretch marks. Yeah. Oh my These god! Yeah, you know, like this you, is this is like I love you so I love you so hard. My hemorrhoids are flaring yeah. up. R and B is that like deep mm-hmm. love, like that long, passionate eight yeah. hour sex set you yeah. know session. You're right and, about and, that. And deep joy, and it's just adult emotions. That's, adult, you're right. That's what I don't even think about that. I, mean, I don't mean adult in like a Shannon Tweed kind of no, way, no, no, like no. actual human no, you, adult. You mean you can't even you can't even reach those emotions until you've reached a certain age and you've had certain experiences. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like Anita Baker makes sense to me. Mm. Right. And Stevie Wonder. Did not when I, was a, when I was a child. Yeah. Sharday. Mm-hmm. You know? That is that's sexy adult. That's that's pretty stretch mark. That's be- that's making the first baby. But that's also cocoa butter though too. That's a that's a little <laughs> like you know less stretch marky, more cocoa butter. <laughs> Have you ever been to a Sharday show? Uh, do you know what? No, I had tickets, and then I think I and I like two years out, and it ended up conflicting with my honeymoon. Well, yeah. priorities, priorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would tell you next time she tours, she tours every twenty years or something. Yeah. But take your wifey, have a date night, and do it. It there yeah, is, that's what that was intended to be. There is so much. Yeah, but you went for the honeymoon instead, which is probably a good call. Yeah. Um, there is so much love in that arena when she's playing, and you see the couples just sitting there getting in their R and B adult feelings yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anything like I saw the Grateful Dead do that once, but people were on hallucinogenics and stuff. And like there was like one universal like when she's doing her thing and she's so charismatic and great. You just there's you, you will fall in love with your partner again. I know I'm sounding cheesy, no. but this is music. It's that's subjective. What it does that, but that's what and, it's supposed to. It's, it's like it's, right. it's ritual use in in human right. psychology exactly. and spirituality and emotionality, which is probably not even a word. Uh, no, it is. It is. Sh- music. Sade's uh, band also uh, are amazing. There's an album they put out that has some really terrific adult. What's love the name of their on. band? When they released their album, it was called Sweetback. Oh, that's right. I remember they're really, really cool. Band. That band really is so good. Beautiful. There's some beautiful, beautiful songs on that album. Weirdest thing in the world, that McDonald's right across the street here in Wilshire. I saw the bass player there once 20 years ago. Oh, really? Taking his kids home from karate, and we, we just <laughs> swan dove on. Went, dude, we love Sade. Is it Sade or Sade? That's that's the I'm a, it's million dollar question. It's one of those things. It's how, Chicken much, or the egg? how much of a douche do you want to be? Like I'm sure it's Sade, but I don't. I don't. You said Sade. I lack the confidence to pronounce it correctly. But you so know I just a lot, say, though. I just say what everybody says, which is which is Sade. So or, I said Sade. And no right. Said, I think you are. I think you are technically correct. I think I am technically wrong. I'm just no. a bit of a hick. It's a three time rock and roll Jeopardy champion. I like to be right in things of this nature. Uh, who is this? 
review. Are we all going? Uh, is this all old sixties? Can you give me the decade at least before we before we go? Because this is also, also 1969. Okay. I'm going chronological, roughly, and uh, we'll go from the late sixties through to the late seventies, uh, time permitting. Will the verbiage start tipping me off a little? You know, after the uh, revival of new way. You know what I mean? Why we start getting a little bit? Of that um, see, this one was really, really tough to uh, anonymize. Right. Right. Yeah, this I'll make, I'll make this one easier for you. Okay. okay, it has 15 fine minutes, and by rock standards, that's a lot. Having said that, I must also say the rest of this album is unmitigated disaster. <laughs> I heard that before. The six tracks on the first side and the opening two tracks on the flip are all write-offs. There's a nursery rhyme, a quick burst of sub Brian Wilson. Two songs by, they name a band member, mm-hmm. Mediocrity Incarnate, yet another slice of 20s nostalgia, and an endless slow blues. Wow. The badness ranges from mere gentle tedium to cringing <laughs> embarrassment. Wow. This uh, review appeared in the New York Times, the paper of record, in 1969. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The Brian Wilson reference is, is- Probably throwing me off more than it's helped me, isn't it? Uh, yes and no. This they feels are... like it's a turtles type, a turtles a type band, a uh, a strawberry alarm clock type thing happening. Um, is it going to be the Doors? Because the two minute two songs on the other side. Oh my God! Here's a review of Abbey Road. You've got to be kidding me. I'll read you a little bit more. The blues, for instance, is horribly out of tune, and Ringo's ditty is purest Mickey Mouse. The only interesting failures are two numbers by John Lennon, Come Together and Oh Darling. Come Together is a slowed-down reworking of Chuck Berry's You Can't Catch Me and is intriguing only as a sign of just how low Lennon can sink these days. Wow! Come Together and Oh Darling? Two of the greatest vocal performances? Of, uh, are you kidding me? You know what that was done by a music critic that also reviewed Perry Como. You know, something's out of tune he was concerned about. Mm, but the, but the, Was he the rock and roll guy of note, or was he the so. general music guy of note? I don't know, but there were a couple of really horrible Beatles reviews, and they all seem to be... Similar? There's, there's two kinds of uh, bad reviews here. One is, it's a new band that isn't established yet, and I don't know what everybody's so excited about. These guys suck. Right. And then there's the Beatles ones, which are more... Boy, these guys are lost up their own asses. This was wow. really good a few years ago, and they've completely lost the plot. And now this is all pretentious filler. Isn't that interesting to get a real time look at what people thought the Beatles yeah. were then? Because you know, all we know is revisionist history at this yeah. point, and that the Beatles, the seven years they were together. By the way, the Beatles, if you don't know, were together for seven years as a recording professional act, and I think know. of what they put together. So in real time, people thought Abbey Road was a pile. Yeah, awful. I don't know what to say. I'm without speech. I don't. I. 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 Essentially, you just. You just did Jimi Hendrix, yeah. and you just did Led Zeppelin, right. and you did the Beatles, and all three records were panned. Mm-hmm. All three are considered classics. All right now are hung up in their own wing of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah. and it's, not and not in marginal publications. No, no. So, so far, I think we've done the L.A. Times, Rolling Stone, and the New York. Yeah, Times. you're not talking about the Crawdaddy Newsletter and the East Village. Uh, you yeah. know, at what happened? Uh, you know, so. 
very, very interesting how, how that plays out. It makes me feel a lot better about our shitty reviews. <laughs> Though, it does, I do agree with most of them. It does, it does go to show. There's nothing that you can do, um, I think if there's a takeaway from this, and there might well not be, is the only thing you can do is let your spirit be your guide. Be your guide. And if you feel like what you're doing is good, how many authors um, uh, or painters... Right. Were right. marginal, neglected, and the uh, shamed, or dar- yeah. and, and then after their death, are famed, and the person who was the big deal at the time is is considered, um, you know, passe, right. and tacky, and dated, and right. of the moment, and nothing more than that. And the edges get dulled as you go on. Where like the ones with the edges become sharper. Like Basquiat, yeah. when he came out, was more like a street artist. Keith Haring, oh look at this cute little street artist. You know what I mean? Now, now look at these Basquiat's being sold for seventy million dollars. It's yeah. insane. You I know? like playing that game sometimes and. Like who are the child people? or Basquiat? Well, no, no, no. <laughs> who are the people that were considered like not respected? Okay, in like, their day, I'll, I'll give you an. I'll wasn't give you... Van Gogh not? Wasn't he kind of clowned in his but, day? So, so I I don't know about what was going on in in their day, but I know about my day. Like, is it possible that in one hundred years, Stephen King? will be taken seriously Mm -hmm. as not just like a popular, successful writer, but as somebody who really um, was keyed into the times in a way that no other contemporary author was. Whereas, I I don't know, Jonathan Safran Foer, Mm -hmm. the guy who wrote Everything is Illuminated. Oh, everybody was so high on this guy. It has aged so poorly. What What a pretentious piece of shit, you know? Is it possible that, you know, Billy Joel will be regarded as uh, 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 the premier on par with the Beatles in 70 years? Right. I'm sure he would enjoy pondering that possibility. I would say it might be. Are you a, are you a Billy Joel fan? Because there, there is there there is no you're you either are you no, aren't. No, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the middle. I when I was a kid, I liked every single song that was popular, and he was no exception. Um, and then as soon as I got any taste at all, I was like, this guy, I just don't, he just lays it on really thick. His yeah. persona is shmarmy. very schmarmy and, uh, was, I was listening to, um, Matter of Trust this weekend and the whole one, two, how one, two, three, four. Yeah. It's, it's a little like, affected. Oh boy. Man. You know, it's a little affected. That but the- having been said, I mean, who's written more. Like there's McCartney, maybe McCartney's the only one. McCartney's the only one where, when you know, what was it when he wrote "Let It Be" or one of the big ones, just went around town playing it for people, and Mm -hmm. he's like, "This is something, right? Like, tell me where did I where did I take this from?" They're like, "No, dude, that's your song. (laughs) Songs that you can't believe didn't exist before they were written. You know, she's got a way and stuff. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's these are these are fucking carved in granite." Are just classics, classic like beyond songs. They're their movements. Aliens you know? would understand yes. what this is. What yes. this is all about. And I yes. don't know that anybody. Uh, uh, put him personally. Put him way ahead of Elton John in that regard. And I think Elton John enjoys a slightly better critical reputation. I would say you're entirely right with that for sure. You know. Um, yeah, I just think uh, just the wealth of material. I just look at the, what he's done and, and and how much he's survived. And he's a solo performer. Yeah, yeah, and he's a solo performer as well. And, and he's super, super talented. There's no denying that. I think he's a better piano player than Elton John. I think Elton would admit that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he scores classical things. He's so bored with. I heard him on Stern talking about how right. he's so bored with pop music that he just it, it, it bores him to death. Yeah. That he writes scores and all that. So he's just a true musician. And and I've I've liked Billy Joe more as I've gotten older. I, I feel the same way. Um, a part of that is the east. Now that I'm out of the East Coast and growing older and have my own kids the really east coasty stuff rings New York state of mind yeah Yeah. because oh my that song could that yeah that could make it a little dusty in here 
I, I understand. But he I, I feel out, the and, same way. And, and I, he went out on a on a. I know. I'm pretty sure "River of Dreams" was his last album. It, it was right. Ninety one. One of my favorite songs by him is uh, "She Comes to Me at Night." This is embarrassing. All about soul. I oh, really, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. I really oh, like that song. It's, it's, it's a, not the greatest song ever, but most people's last album doesn't have anything are, are close awful. to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And "River of Dreams" is great. He took that from somewhere in the middle of the night. Yeah. Well, it's a, it feels like an old fifties doo wop type thing. Yeah. But he was very influenced by all that. But by the way, uh-huh. if, if if Billy Joel is going to rip off a song every now and then, God bless you. You've written enough of your own. You're a talented man. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, you, I think you'll be able to guess this review. Uh, this is from 1970 in Rolling Stone. Okay. They are hyped as a rockin' ritual celebration of the Satanic Mass or some such claptrap. Black Sabbath. Well, they're not that bad, but that's about all the credit you can give them. <laughs> I didn't know that they were so snarky back then. Yeah, this is Lester Bangs. Was kind of his. Oh, yeah, he was all thing, about yeah. that. Uh, the whole album is a shuck, despite the murky song titles. What does shuck some, mean? I don't know. And some inane lyrics that sound like vanilla fudge paying tribute to Aleister Crowley. The album has nothing to do with spiritualism, the occult, or anything much except stiff recitations of cream cliches wow. that sound like musicians learned them out of a book, grinding on and on with dogged persistence. Vocals are sparse, most of the album being filled with plodding bass lines over which the lead guitar dribbles wooden claptonisms from the master's tiredest cream days. My God. Just like cream, but worse. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> now, mind you, you just said four of the biggest bands in the world, all of them the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You think Lester Bangs would give this a different, if he was alive today, give us a different review today? Go, you know what? I was young. I was in weird space. <laughs> I, I don't know. In my experience, those guys don't tend to to back off. I was, especially him. He never did. I don't. I don't know much. I know him by reputation. I was a little bit friendly with Ira Robbins. Really? You, do you know? Yeah. With his? Okay. Yeah. I worked at a company where he was he was uh, an executive, and um, he had an axe to grind with Bruce Springsteen that would never go away. But that's because John Landau was a Rolling Stone guy, and mm-hmm. I think they were all maybe a little bit. Of course. I don't want to put words in it. Maybe a little bit jealous that one of their own had gone on to become. Sure, you know Springsteen's shadow, but then again, I, I was uh, when I was looking up classic albums that had bad reviews, and Ira was not a young man in the '90s. They tried to pass off the review, the Rolling Stone review of Nirvana's Nevermind, as a bad review, and it was actually a, it was a three, it wasn't a four star review, it was a three star review, but it totally got it, and it completely appreciated what was good about Nirvana. Maybe it didn't, it, which is probably a very appropriate yeah in a, a, a review at the time yeah. But Lester Banks is using words there, phraseology that mm-hmm. like don't exist. Yeah. So like to me, that's again, it's look at me. I'm like, but the fact that we know who Lester Banks is, yeah, just shows you what kind of what kind of guy he is. It's just, and I, I love criticism. I'll read. Oh, me too. I'll read reviews of things that I will never actually go and experience. Right. The art. I like reviews, and it just becomes an art unto itself that you use as a jumping off point to throw words around. Sure. It's it's um it's it's rock criticism by way of. Uh, Who's uh, Hunter S. Thompson? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. exactly right. Especially when it's done well, it's interesting to read. You know, yeah. but I'll tell you one thing: it's almost the anti-gauge for me. Criticism when I see someone really go the extra mile, like in this Black Sabbath record, mm-hmm. especially movie critics. Like movie critics are the anti-gauge for me because what they like are Juno and all these little. And I like, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't like movies like that. So like, I it's 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 
I guess the world of criticism, once you become a certain age, you've read enough of it, you kind of can use it as your gauge. Well, you know what I mean? Like, that is, if I read that Lester Bangs review, I would go run and buy the record. I I, got to hear this. Yeah. Yeah, Alistair Crawley and uh, what did he say? Was like, that was like a a compliment. (laughs) It's like, I'm I'm there. Let's see if we can bang out like two more of these in the little time that uh, remains to us. Uh, Painfully long year plus in the making finds him invoking most of the LA variety of superstardom's weariest cliches (laughs) in a in an attempt to obscure his inability to do a good imitation of his earlier self. Truth be told, I listened to the entirety no less than a dozen times before touching typewriter to paper, ultimately managing to come up with only one happy thing to say about it. He still sings awful pretty. That was in Rolling Stone in 1972. He still sings awful pretty? Yep. Well, it's either going to be David Bowie or, um, or David Bowie. No, it's another uh, pretty voice. Oh, Neil Young. Yeah. Boy, this was panned. <laughs> this one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written. <laughs> I think the criticism at the time, and it, again, there. Criticism the, was almost cool back yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you couldn't say, boy, I really enjoyed this Neil Young record. I hope yeah. you go get it. I think. He had gone. I think one of the reasons why that is so uh, well regarded and such a legendary album, uh, Harvest, is because I think he had found his way toward the mainstream. Yes. And it was some of his most accessible stuff, and he never really went there again. And I think people thought that he was going Hollywood and well, the, re- selling the review suggests yeah. that very thing. And if you watched him in Buffalo Springfield, he was the guy that like wouldn't perform to the cameras on Ed Sullivan, and yeah. he was the real rebel, yeah, 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 yeah. you know. So this is him selling out his counterparts at Rolling Stone. This might be the last one we can do. Um, Rolling Stone, nineteen seventy three, a disaster, taking the listener. <laughs> Into a distorted and degenerate demimonde of paranoia, schizophrenia, degradation, pill-induced violence, and suicide. There are certain records that are so patently offensive that one wishes to take some kind of physical vengeance on the artists that perpetrate them. Wow! Uh, let's see. Um, this uh, it can only be... Is it a group? I'm sorry, it was a group or a solo artist? Uh, solo artist. This was his last shot at a once promising career. Boy, so he made it through the 60s. He's by himself. It's not going to be... And it's bombastic, right? I mean... No. They're not, going, they're not doing like a... a a Donovan or something like that. Or... No, this is somebody who's incredibly respectable. Um, is English or American? Um, American. I'll tell you what, that you won't know, you may not know the song. It is uh, a, uh, well, tell me what you think about this. That is a review of the album Berlin from, oh, Lou, uh, from David Bowie. From, well, no, no, no. Iggy no, no. Pop. Uh, third one, Lou Reed. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that review, by the way. Lou Reed's a tough one. Lou Reed's just never, never spoke to me. I mean, I, I appreciate Lou Reed. Uh, Sweet Jane was a template for every morning. The things she does, the things she says. People shouldn't treat others that way. You just, if you don't like that voice, you're out. I thought I could take it all. Like That's from the Mick yeah. Ronson, David Bowie playbook with the backing vocals, just yeah. without David Bowie's genius. Yeah. If you thought that 
Velvet Underground was on its way to something, and then you <laughs> thought that... Because it's so weird that he's this like outsider, difficult artist, but all of his... All the songs that I like, and I think all the songs that most people who like him at all like, are his, like, his silly pop... You know, well, walk on the wild, wild sides. Anything but silly pop to me. Okay, okay, okay. I I Sweet Jane's no, amazing. Right. You know? Yeah, uh, but you know, Stephanie says and you yeah, know, yeah. The stuff the Nico stuff, Femme Fatale. Like mm-hmm. those are those Femme are Fatale's a great. Song. So the, I love the Nico stuff, and yeah. he did that because he had to. He right. didn't want. He hated that stuff. And then you get to Transformer, and he's got um, Perfect Day and Satellite of Love are on that, and mm-hmm. actually he comes out of that as the Lou Reed the world would know from then on out and yeah I think this is where the C's kind of part and I go with the people that go yeah I kind of like the earlier stuff better but this is where the legend of Lou Reed starts and begins well you listen to that Lou Reed Got sick of Lou Reed. You remember in the late 80s when he did those MTV things? You do what you want to do. You do what you can. You do what you want to do. But I, I love no, you, Suzanne. You no do anything once, about. baby. You do anything twice. It's like, it's the most t- Tom Cochran, life is a highway, trying to be a three-minute piece of like, it's his shot at being a pop star. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I would revisit that. It's it's phenomenal. Okay. So, We'll do that on the next show. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will. <laughs> uh, we got waiting go with bated breath for now. I wish we had maybe I don't know. One of these days we'll do a grab bag of all the shit that we don't get to. It's so much fun, dude. Always fun talking to you, Tully. Thank you, Mark McGrath. Uh, Mark McGrath's one twenty weekends on nineties at nine. MarkMcGrath.com for tour dates. Yeah, yeah. Or hit me up on Twitter at Mark underscore McGrath. Love hearing from you guys. 